Welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves. And I'm Don Bishop. We're your hosts for Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Captain John McMurray, and he'll be answering your most important questions on fly fishing for bluefish on the eastern seaboard. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you would like to ask John a question, just go to our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, where it says click here to ask John your most important question. We'll receive your questions immediately and be trying to answer as many questions as live on the show as possible. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on the website about one hour after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the broadcast anytime. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc., doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we will talk with John McMurray about those voracious bluefish. The R.L. Winston Rod Company is the maker of the revolutionary Boron 2X, the first and only fly rods that are both delicate yet powerful and weigh up to one-third less than any others. Second-generation boron graphite composite allows us to build lighter, more responsive rods while maintaining outstanding fish-fighting power. Go to your local shop and ask to cast the boron 2X, offered in 3 through 6 weight. Then enter our Cast a Winston Sampler contest. You could win six Winston rods. Visit www.winstonrods.com for contest details and to locate your nearest Winston dealer. Cast a Winston at the best place possible, your local specialty fly shop. Before we introduce John, we'd like to let you know about the great gift we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, John has been kind enough to provide a dozen of his favorite bluefish poppers. If you want that topwater action, you're going to want to win these flies. So if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage, which is at www.askaboutflyfishing.com, and look for the link under John's section that says register for drawing. Click on that link, fill out the form, and we'll be drawing for the winner at the end of the show. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Our guest tonight is Captain John McMurray, who specializes in guiding on waters within minutes of New York City, including Jamaica Bay, which has some 10,000 acres of salt marsh flats. John received a degree in political science, then served in the U.S. Coast Guard before becoming the first executive director of the New York branch of the Coastal Conservation Association. Currently, he is director of grants programs at the Norcross Wildlife Foundation in New York. John is owner and primary operator of One More Cast Charters in Jamaica Bay, New York, and he is conservation chair of the Professional Fly Fishing and Light Tackle Guides Association. His articles and photography appear in several saltwater magazines as well as the New York Times. He has a column in Fly Fishing in Saltwaters, and his articles have appeared in Saltwater Sportsman, Sport Fishing, Shallow Water Angler, and Saltwater Fly Fishing, just to name a few. We're really looking forward to hearing what John has to tell us about fly fishing for bluefish in the New York City area and up and down the eastern seaboard. It's a great pleasure to welcome Captain John McMurray to ask about fly fishing internet radio. John, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you, and thanks for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> Sound like a star. 
<laughs> you are a star. Hey. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, John, I'd like to read uh, a, just a few sentences from an article you wrote to start this show off. And sure. folks, this was from an article that uh, John wrote in, for Sport Fishing Magazine, May 2006. A bluefish lunged at my fly with its red gill plates flaring. The line immediately came tight, and I gave it a good strip strike, sinking the hook deep into the charging blue's jaw. Startled, the fish ripped across the flat as the other spooked, sending saltwater spraying everywhere. I danced to keep the line from under my feet as it flew out of the guides of my rod. A spectacular leap followed by a tail walk across the surface ensued as I let out an uncontrollable whoop. Is that how it is, fishing for bluefish? <laughs> Well, yeah, when it's good. When you get them on the flats like that, I mean, it it could be spectacular. Um, that does sound very, very exciting. So, folks, this is what we're going to learn about tonight from John, and he's going to share his secrets with us. And um, I'm excited. I tell you, when I was reading your article, it was like, I, I, I'm ready to go. And I missed all those opportunities in the past when I've been in New York City doing business, and I didn't know I could be fishing just across the river there. Well, let's start out, John, with talking about bluefish themselves, because I don't know that uh, we've got a lot of freshwater fishers, and I'm not sure that everybody's real familiar with, you know, with the bluefish. So could you tell us what one looks like and a little bit about uh, the background of the fish? Uh, absolutely. Well, as far as appearances go, I would probably describe them as being sinister looking, being almost evil. I mean, they're, they're an apex predator in their world. Uh, they're really just a mean-looking fish. They have a big head uh, and these big yellow eyes. Uh, they have almost a, a blunt nose, uh, much like a jack or a pompano or a rooster fish. In fact, they're, they're closely related, those species. They're kind of greenish-blue. Um, they have very sharp, triangular teeth. Uh, not big like a shark's, but uh, very small. And you certainly don't want to get your fingers anywhere near them. I wouldn't say it's a particularly handsome fish. Um, <laughs> more of a, more of a, just a, a tough guy kind of fish. Uh, and you know, they they look like they want to bite you, and they will bite you. Uh, and if you were a little smaller, they would probably eat you if they could. <laughs> but yeah, they're a they're a mean looking fish. How big do the bluefish get? Uh, yeah, well, you know, the snappers, which is you know what a lot of kids in this area kind of cut their teeth on can be, uh, you know, four, five, six inches, where the choppers, or the alligator blues, as we call them, uh, you know, can be anywhere from 12 to 20 pounds. The biggest one I caught was actually 21 pounds, and that was four years ago. So, uh, yeah, they could get big. They could get to be uh, 40 inches for sure. You said they're kind of related to some of the other fish. Uh, do, mm -hmm. do they have any drag? I mean, like there's a bunch of variations of tuna, for instance. Are there... You just mentioned those yeah, small they're, variety, they're, but they're part of the same genus, uh, as I understand. Uh, but as far as being related any closer than that, they are not. Uh, bluefish are kind of a one-of-the-kind species. Um, there is a, a subspecies in, in South Africa, I'm told, uh, that are very similar to bluefish, uh, except that they're quite a bit bigger, 40, 50 pounds. But uh, yeah, I don't know a whole lot about them, other than that they are targeted by anglers over there also. They are called bluefish there as well, or are they called something else? Yeah, I mean, they're they're called bluefish, but there's also a, a different scientific name for them. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm not aware of it at the moment, but I'm sure okay. if you got online and, and looked it up, it would be fairly easy to find. 
What are their migratory habits? I know they're encountered at various places along the eastern seaboard. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're anywhere from Cuba up to Nova Scotia. In fact, a fish that was fairly recently caught in New York was uh, that was tagged in New York was recaught in Cuba, and that's the farthest south I've ever heard of them going. But generally, they spawn offshore. Uh, you know, anywhere from June to August. Um, and they they do spawn on the continental shelf, and it's, it's a lot of people believe that they spawn inshore because of some of the behavior that we see in the flats, and maybe we could talk about that later on. But once they spawn offshore, uh, the snap what we call snappers, they're they're small juvenile bluefish. They drift inshore via ocean currents, and they get into the estuaries, etc. Um, uh, they, they're also they, when the small fish that those post-spawn uh, snappers are uh, are quite a food source for other predators along the way, and and the the biggest predator I would say are adult bluefish themselves. So yeah, they are cannibals. Right, and and you described in your article that uh, Roger cited uh, an excerpt differences in behavior kind of depending on where they might be in relation to the spawning cycle, uh, particularly as is evidenced in the, the New York City area or the J Jamaica Bay area. What, uh, why don't you give us some of the details on that? On, on the spawning cycle? Well, on, on the, the patterns that they have in terms of where, where you find them and their behavior. Right. Uh, like right. Yeah. Spawn. Yeah. You you had asked me about migration. I kind of went off yeah. on a tangent there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, just it, it's very easy to describe their migration patterns. Uh, in the spring, they head north. In the summer, they head offshore, and in the fall, they come back inshore. And then, once we start getting later on in the fall, they go south uh, to areas south of, of the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Um, but we first start seeing them up here. Uh, in, in mid-April, so, uh, you know, and, and, and also bluefish are not, they have patterns that are very diverse, um, and different bodies of fish do different things, so it's hard to say really specifically what the migration pattern is, but generally, you know, north in the, uh, in the spring, and mm -hmm. offshore in the summer, and south in the fall. And in the spring, uh, on the flats, up, up, up in your part of the east, you described uh, some, with some symptoms, or some synonyms, I guess you should say, that uh, were kind of reminiscent of tarpon. Uh, yeah, of well, that's, yeah, that's certainly a bluefish to some anglers could almost be a, a pass sometimes, because they really are so numerous at some points in the year, the small ones are anyway, that, uh, you know, they could be considered a pest. But when they get up on the flats like that, uh, I mean, they're just as good, if not better, than any sport fish. And, and we do hook them on the flats, which is often very challenging and very difficult. Uh, they do spectacular things. I mean, they'll jump and they'll tail walk. They'll scream across that flat and get you in a backing before you can blink an eye. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult not just fooling them, but also getting the things to the boat because... A, they have amazingly sharp teeth, but also B, they're very finicky. So you can't really put wire on there without spooking them. Well, so. let's get into that tackle and the, that leader a little bit later on. I'd like to get back to the, the bluefish itself. Mm -hmm. um, 
what do they what what do they usually feed upon? Well, that, that's a good question. I mean, well, I could tell you a number of things they feed on generally, but when they're in the flats, uh, I, I don't think they're really feeding at all, per se, because they're very difficult to get to eat. Um, but to, to answer your question, I would say their major food source is Atlantic Menhaden, uh, what we call bunker. Um, we get juvenile and adult bunker here in the, in the New York Bight, the area that I fish. Um, that seems to be the, the driving bait. They're also, they also eat butterfish, bay anchovies, um, spearing. Uh, you know, these, these fish are so voracious and they're, they're such hardcore predators that they'll, they'll eat anything. I mean, it's, it's pretty average in, in my neck of the woods to see seagulls with one, legs, with one leg because they'll, mm. they'll go after a seagull's foot if it's moving. Um, I've actually seen them appear to go after seagulls, but I, I think it's, I don't think they're, <laughs> I don't think they're trying to eat the seagulls. I think it's just, you know, that natural predator response to hit anything that's moving. Is there any, uh, are there any predators that feed on the bluefish? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everything feeds on the juvenile bluefish, uh, from striped bass to false avocore, bonita, uh, weakfish, you know, they, you know, you could have some pretty amazing blitz-type fishing with stripers on these on these uh, snapper bluefish. But uh, the adults, um, I would say probably the best mako shark bait, you know, if you're fishing offshore, is a 10-pound bluefish, live-lined. Bluefin tuna also eat them. Uh, there's a, a famous photograph. I don't recall the name of the, uh, the photographer, but uh, it's in all the offshore magazines and you could you could buy it it's a uh, series of a giant bluefin tuna chasing a uh, a big bluefish you know leaping out of the water it's it's pretty neat <laughs> it's almost always something bigger isn't there <laughs> right. Right. right now the the bluefish is a an oily type of fish mm -hmm. and uh they use them for cut bait do they as well as uh whole yeah yeah they do bait? they they do you can uh you know, you could certainly shark fish with a bluefish fillet. In fact, that's a pretty commonly used bait for, for blue sharks and, and makos as well. Okay. Well, we have had uh, a number of questions submitted relating to the kind of tackle that you use. Um, now might be a good time to just uh, launch into that part of this conversation and just uh, uh, give us a rundown on that, that angle. Uh, sure. Well, I mean, my favorite way to target these fish is with topwater baits, is with, with poppers, specifically uh, these edgewater cone-type foam poppers. And uh, that requires a very specific rod and a very specific type of gear to, to throw these things because they're big flies and, and they're not easy to throw, particularly if you're throwing into a wind, which you often have to do when you're fishing a flat uh, because, you know, that fish could show up anywhere in that flat you got to be able to make quick long casts and to roll that big fly out quickly so with that being said um, I use a nine weight rod and I line it with an 11 weight tarpon line or I believe some manufacturers have begun making uh, striper line as well basically it's it's a, a heavy weight forward taper that's designed to put out big flies very quickly um, again, I'm sure you could you could do an internet search and find a dozen different manufacturers, um, but you definitely want to overweight the rod because 
you want to be able to make one, maybe two false casts and just shoot that thing out there into the wind and turn that big fly over, and a heavier line will certainly help you do that. Um, interesting that, that you mentioned Winston at the beginning of this program. Uh, I use uh, boron Winston rods, and I, I actually started using them because uh, I got a hold of a couple of demos from Urban Angler in New York. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I use is a nine-weight boron Winston to, to throw big poppers. So, That's great because I just got a nine weight <laughs> Winston Boron two X myself, so good, I'll be anxious good. to come try it with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but as far as leaders go, um, that's another interesting thing uh, that you know is also very specific to this this type of fishing with poppers is that uh, there's really not that much need to, to do a taper leader, and and it even prohibits your cast. Um, I'll usually use uh, a pretty short leader, maybe three, four, maybe four and a half feet at most of straight 20-pound uh, fluorocarbon. Um, if you have a good rod and, and a good casting ability and you've got that, that heavy, heavy floating line, you could punch that thing right out there and lay that fly out uh, uh, pretty, pretty darn good. And, and I would say even better with that setup than you would be able to with a conventional uh, 9, 10-foot tapered leader. So you are using a nine weight rod and a floating line, mm -hmm. and then you're using a, a, an eleven weight line, roughly, yes. to haul those big flies out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and these poppers, you know, they're they're usually about four, maybe even five inches. Uh, the foam body uh, is basically just uh, poppers in general are just a vehicle for making noise. I, I don't even think that stripers hit them because they look like bait. Um, and, and again, I'm getting in a, into a tangent here. Do we want to wait till later, or do we want to no, talk about poppers now? Well, no. yeah, let's, let's finish with equipment. Okay. All right. All what right. about uh, knots on the kinds of setup that you're using? Any special? Well, yeah, that, that gets us back to the leader. As I mentioned, that um, bluefish are very toothy. And if you use that straight fluorocarbon, without any sort of bite guard, then uh, you're going to get bit off right quick. And with that being said, particularly when you're fishing the flats, or, or should I say really only when you're fishing the flats, these bluefish could be very particular about what they eat. So uh, there are a couple of, of manufacturers, and, and again, it's, it's fairly recently this technology has come around, but they're fairly invisible, uh, knotable wire leaders. Tiger wire is one, American fishing wire is the other, and uh, there are a few more. Um, and, and they work pretty well, and they're, they're fairly, you know, invisible. I don't want to say invisible, but they're, they're tough to see. They're difficult to see in the water. Mm -hmm. But even, even with that, you'll get bluefish that will turn away from your fly because that wire is, is either weighting the, the popper down or weighting your, your, your uh, deceiver or whatever you're using down to the point where it's it's becoming, you know, prohibitive and your fly's not looking natural and, and that leader may even be visible. Um, with that being said, a lot of guys, particularly the guys that, that do this flats fishing for uh, for bluefish out east, um, they swear by 60-pound fluorocarbon. Um, but you'll still get bitten off with 60-pound fluorocarbon. I figure you're going to lose probably 25% of your fish, but you are going to get more fish to eat that way, so... 
Okay. Battles. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's just take a real b brief break here, and when we return, we'll be talking more with John McMurray about uh, getting hooked up with a bluefish. Matt and his crew at Dry Fly Outfitters offer a large selection of fly fishing products, river flows, and information on whatever type of fishing you are after. While at their site, check out the World of Fly Fishing blog, filled with lots of information on rivers to fish, techniques, and product reviews. You won't want to miss out on a single blog. Check them out today. You can reach Matt and his crew by going to their website, which is www.dryflyoutfitters.com. That's www.dryflyoutfitters.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Captain John McMurray about fly fishing for bluefish on the eastern seaboard. If you would like to ask John a question, go to our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, to the link. Click here to ask John your most important question. We'll receive the questions immediately and try to answer as many as possible as we can. Okay, John, we were just uh, finishing up on the uh, equipment end of things. Can you tell us uh, just a little bit more about uh, the, the types, and we won't go into real details here other than just the general types of lures that you use for bluefish, both in terms of the flats and the, uh, the, the deeper water fishing that you might do, just, just general mm -hmm. terms. Um, are we talking fly only or, or flies yes. and? Yep. Okay. Flies only. Uh, well, um, when bluefish are blitzing, you could, you could throw a, a bare feather into the, into the mix and expect to get a hit. Uh, so there's not really much. I, in fact, all my old flies that don't really, uh, I wouldn't use anymore, I, I save them for the, the blitzing action. <laughs> but if you want to ensure that you get strikes during, during uh, these massive feeding orgies, uh, anything that's chartreuse or, or yellow or visible will, will certainly get noticed there. Uh, when they get in the flats, they become a lot more particular, a lot more challenging, a lot more fun, I think. And, uh, you know, with that being the case, um, uh, poppers are my first choice because they seem to draw strikes when nothing else will, mainly because I think it just annoys the fish into, into hitting the fly uh, when it's not really interested in eating. But... Sometimes when the sun gets too high or when it gets hot out, they won't hit poppers or sliders or anything like that. Yeah, so you've got to try to match the hatch. Uh, and sometimes there is no hatch, but usually if you throw a sand eel pattern at them, uh, they'll go after it. Um, you know, okay. any epoxy sand eel pattern is usually a good bet. If that doesn't work, I'll, I'll try to uh, just throw something big and ugly something that they'll definitely see and that will get, definitely get their attention. Seducers work well with that. Uh, lefty deceivers work well. Um, you know, anything big and flashy. Works. Actually, what, what I'm looking for, John, is do you use any different equipment or different setup in terms of the blitzing fish versus the when they're uh, distributed on the flats? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, blitzing fish... Uh, again, I, I, I'll have to say generally in front of everything I say because, uh, you know, you, you always encounter different scenarios and different things happen on the water, and anybody who's spent a lot of time on the water knows that. But uh, generally, blitzing bluefish are in the 3 to 5-pound range. Occasionally, you'll get bigger ones, 8, 9, 10 pounds, uh, but they're not huge fish and uh, I, I like to use eight weights if they're if they're cocktail size fish two three four pounds 
I really I consider that a good time to get out my six or seven weight because I, I think those fish are a lot of fun on, on that type of gear. And again, I'll, I'll use heavy wire, um, 30, 40 pound uh, uh, wire, even uh, you know seven strand or straight wire. And uh, yeah, you know you could throw pretty much any leader size doesn't matter. These fish are just so focused on feeding and so voracious. I mean, they'll hit anything in, during a blitz. When you're back to the, the flats, then you're back to a, a more stealth operation. To, yeah, yeah. To, to, and, and, and then do you switch to, to mono then? Is that what you said before? Yeah, I'll, I'll, usually, I'll usually give the nautable wire a try first, and if I get a refusal, then I'll, then I'll switch over to mono. Because, like I said, I mean, you're, you're going to break the fish off, particularly when you start getting into, into fish in the 15-pound class that are, you know, 36, 37 inches. Uh, they're they're going to bite through that, and you know after their their third or fourth jump, they're that sharp. Those teeth, <laughs> mm, they really are. I mean, I've I've got scars on my hands to prove it. <laughs> when when you're, um, can we talk maybe a little? You mentioned the the different flies that uh, that you were using there a minute ago, and um, I'd like to talk about uh, those flies a bit more and. Uh, then let's talk about uh, some strategies on actually fishing to these fish in these different situations. Sound good, John? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, the flies, you had mentioned a bunch of different colors. I think you said chartreuse was the preferred color. Yeah. yeah. And and that's pretty common in almost all saltwater fishing, isn't it? I mean, uh, no, I, I certainly wouldn't say all saltwater fishing. Uh, you know, okay. uh, particularly when you get south, uh, bonefish and, and tarpon and... Some of these fish get very particular about what color the fly is. But I, I would say, yeah, in the Northeast, uh, you know, I, I, I guess it was Dino Torino from Staten Island that, that coined the phrase, if, if it ain't chartreuse, it ain't no use. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that tends to be fairly fairly true up here. Um, again, uh, things change and, and light conditions change, and sometimes when you encounter these fish on the flats, they won't touch a chartreuse fly. And, but, you know, th this is usually during conditions when you're fishing a white sand flat and there's sand eels on that flat and these fish aren't feeding very heavily. Uh, th in those situations, you know, you just you have to adapt and you have to try different things out. Uh, I, I found that, that brown and white sand flats works better for some reason. I'm not quite sure why, but it, it certainly does. You had mentioned primarily, uh, it sounded like bait fish patterns. Uh, yes. that you were yeah. using. Do they, yes, do they, the, the, bluefish are not so much uh, a crustacean eater as, you know, okay. striped bass uh, striped bass really focus on the crabs and the shrimp. Uh, bluefish aren't so interested in that sort of thing. I mean, they'll eat anything, really, but they, they don't key in on those sorts of baits like stripers do. Is there a particularly good resource for flies that you would use? As far as tying, you know, patterns and so forth, are there any books? Yeah, you, yeah. you know, there's there's a number of books uh, out there right now. I, I can't think of the names of any right now. Uh, Angelo Peluso just, just released a book. Uh, I don't know if it's made it to the stands yet, but I, I just got a copy in the mail. It's it's Saltwater Flies of the Northeast, I believe. Anyway, uh, it's by Angelo Peluso. It details... Um, flies tied by different guides in the Northeast, by, by innovative fly tires, 
that would be a very good resource. And, and again, I don't know if it's available retail yet, but if not, it'll be available very soon. I believe Bob Popovich has a, a fairly recent book out uh, that uh, talks about different patterns. Do do bluefish mm -hmm. take squid, or, or do they eat squid, or do they take? Yeah. Oh, flies? absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, in fact, what brings the bluefish up? north in the beginning are, are squid. Once those, those first schools of squid show, uh, that's when you start getting the schools of big bluefish coming in. And are, are your flies tied on circle hooks or what? Uh, what, what? Um, I, I don't use circle hooks um, on, the, in the, on the few times a year that I do get a chance to bait fish. I most certainly use circle hooks. And I think they have a, a very good application uh, for bait. But for flies, I, I don't. I think they tend to be very difficult to get out of a fish's mouth. Um, I, I, I hook pretty much 99% of the fish that we catch on our boat get hooked uh, in the mouth. Um, occasionally, you'll get one that's gut hooked, uh, and and I think that this you would get the same sort of rate with the, the circle hook. I mean, you know, they're designed for bait fish. They're designed for that fish to to swallow the piece of bait, turn around and have that hook pull out of its stomach and hook in the side of its mouth as it turns. You're, you're strip striking that fish right away when he hits your fly. So I, I don't, I mean, I'm sure there are other schools of thought on using circle hooks, but I, I haven't been sold on them in the, in the fly world yet. Mm -hmm. What, what uh, hooks do you use for, for time? Well, I, I use, I, I use four-hot, I'm just a general bluefish fly, I use a four-hot um, long shank hook. Uh, stainless steel, of course, because you're fishing saltwater. And I try to tie, you know, whatever deceiver, whatever uh, fly I'm tying, whatever seducer, I try to tie it on the back of that shank so I have a piece of wire. Of The, the hook shank is sticking out of the fly enough to where I, I get bitten off less because that bluefish is hitting the fly, not the hook. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, do they take... Do they hit it from behind, or do they try to take? They do. That head uh, on? A striper, a striper will hit it head on. A bluefish will hit it behind. If you ever have a chance to uh, fish live bait, either uh, porgies, blackfish, or or bunker, uh, you'll always get the bluefish biting it in half. And you know, if you want to catch bluefish, you stick the hook in its tail. If you want to catch bass, you stick the hook in its head. So I'm I'm very certain that that's that's the way they feed, and there's a very distinct difference because every time I live bait fish, that's what happens. Are there other tips uh, that you could give in terms of tying saltwater patterns for bluefish? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're just a, a general fly fishing guy, it's just getting into it. Um, I would say anything that has chartreuse and white. Uh, that's four or five inches, even six inches, uh, if you're fishing deeper water, is going to work for bluefish. You know, uh, try to either buy or, or tie a good selection of poppers. They're, they're another uh, a big hit with bluefish. And, uh, and, and tie whatever you're tying on long shank hooks, and you'll, you'll certainly get less bite-offs. To try to transition here into uh, maybe some strategies and so forth of, of fishing, um, and this kind of relates to the flies and so forth. Are, is, is chumming uh, a way to attract fish, attract bluefish, or is that not used? Well, it, it, it is. Um, it, when I go shark fishing, which is, is not as often as I would like to these days, uh, 
you know, you set up a chum slick, and, and usually the bluefish will show up, and, you know, you lob a fly out there in a sinking line, the bluefish will eat it. But uh, when i targeting bluefish, I, I don't ever chum them. I, I just, uh, I mean, you could literally catch a hundred of them, and I, and I don't get that much enjoy enjoyment out of it. Um, like I said, I, I think the value of, of bluefish is targeting them in shallow water in the flats where they become really challenging. How big of flies are you tying, uh, John? Well, um, it, that all depends on what the bait is. Um, if I am uh, fishing under Atlantic Minhain schools, they're, a, they're actually a big bait anywhere from you know, 8 to 11 inches, and I will tie 9, even 10-inch flies. I've, I've got a bunker fly called a rainbow bunker. It's, I believe it's an Angelos book, um, but it's a, it's a big, hairy fly, uh, very broad in profile, and I'll, I'll fish that on a sinking line and under the bunker schools. And you could really get some immensely big bluefish doing that. I mean, scary big bluefish. Uh, but, you know, if I'm fishing blitzing fish, I'll, I'll tie a three, four, maybe a five-inch fly, chartreuse and white, like I said, is the best way to go there. Flats, those fish can be very particular. When they do get very finicky, I find that smaller flies work a little better. Well, how, how exactly do you locate the fish, both in flats or if you're looking for something uh, further out? Uh, what's your technique for location? Well, further out, um, that's the easy one. You look for the birds. If yep. you could find birds, uh, you're, and it's you know it, during the summer or the or the spring or the fall, you're either gonna have bass or bluefish on them. Um, the bluefish, the predators, the bass and the bluefish push the bait up. The birds come down and try to pick the bait off. So that's that's the easy answer to that one. Um, you also want to uh, look for, for ledges, um, any change in water depth. Uh, and you could do that by looking at a good chart or by just looking for rip lines. Um, any place where water moves over uh, a shallow spot or goes from shallow to deep, you'll see a very distinct rip line. Bluefish, like some other northeast predators, are opportunistic feeders. They wait in spots where they feel like they could get fed. Also rocks, any any rocky area where a fish could sit behind a rock and wait for bait to come by, that's a good area to try. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I think as far as sight fishing, there are a number of things that happen there. Uh, where I am in, in, in the salt marsh here, um, you could actually find tailing fish. And again, that could be super exciting and super fun, and, and they're very spooky. But you, you look from a distance, and, and these tails look exactly you know, like a bonefish or a permit, just kind of moving through the water there. Um, and they're very difficult to approach, but, but that's uh, that's got to do is be very stealthy. When you're talking about, uh, let's say, a day in the life of, of John McMurray there as a guide, going out uh, in, in the New York area where you, you work most often, do you, just, do you start going out looking for those tailing fish? And Now, that's all flats, the area you're talking about, the salt marshes? Yeah, yeah. The... the when they get in the salt marsh, which is usually late May, early June, um, yeah, you, you go out and look at, at some of the flats that you expect to find them in, and you just kind of, uh, you either pull or you, you use your trolling motors and, and you just keep an eye out. And in the meantime, I, I always make sure that whatever angler I have on board, he's always 
casting until I see a fish. Then I'll have them bring it up because certainly blind casting works as well. Uh, but when you find one fish in an area, you'll you'll find more. I mean, they're a schooling fish. They're not uh, loners. And when they do get in the flats, they, they daisy chain. They, they swim in schools of five or six or seven, and they'll break off into circles. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's really neat. But you'd look for the tails. And if you're, if you're fishing white sand flats, which is what I tend to do later in the year on the backside of Breezy Point uh, and even on the ocean side, uh, again, you're pulling and you're using your trolling motors. And, and, you know, I have a raised platform that I, I could operate my trolling motors from. So, and bluefish, you could sight them fairly well because they're they're darker than a striped bass or a weak fish. So you just look for them. You look for them and you, you cast for cruising fish. Now, we've got a question here from Barton Jennings in Parker, Colorado, out in my neck of the woods here. And he says, he wants to know, can you... Uh, is a boat required? Can you can you do some effective fishing for bluefish from the shore? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, when the bluefish get really spooky, I will pull the boat up and, and have my guys get out and, and just walk along that marsh line and, and wait in some areas. Um, there's a lot of shore access uh, around New York where you could do that sort of thing as well. So, yeah, I mean, most certainly. There, there are times, uh, e even in blitzing and, and, and loner fish, um, situations where the guys fishing uh, from Breezy Point, per se, are out fishing the boat guys 10 to 1, because those bluefish have a way of pushing the bait up against the shoreline or pushing it up against a jetty. So, yeah, absolutely. Now, what, what influence do issues such as weather or even the difference, well, you talked about the, the migratory patterns with the seasons, but on a given season, what impact does the weather have on either the bluefish or how you might work them? Well, in the spring and, and in these, these tailing and, and sight fishing situations, you want a warm, sunny day because these fish are getting up on the flats to warm themselves. And, and we call them racers because they're not very well fed and, and they, they're in an environment that's a little bit cooler than what they're used to. So they're going to feed more aggressively if you have warmer days because they're getting up on that flat. Now, as far as finding blitzing fish, uh, I prefer the uh, you know the overcast kind of rainy sort of conditions, um, as that tends to bring fish to the surface. Uh, they feed longer during the day in those conditions. Uh, but but blitzing fish are kind of uh, strange, particularly in the fall, because they could blitz at odd times during the day. I mean, it could the sun could be out and it could be 65, 70 degrees in November. And or or October, and the fish will be blitzing. So, yeah, it's hard to tell. Okay. And how about the tides? Uh, what effect are they having on on the bluefish activity? Um, you know, it, well, different areas require different tides. Uh, obviously, if you don't have water in a flat, you can't you can't fish it. So, you know, you want to have a good amount of water. Some some flats fish better on high tides. Some flats fish better on low tides. I think what is a constant, however, is that you definitely want a moving tide. Uh, if the tide's not moving, those fish, not only do they get more spooky, but they're just totally uninterested in feeding. Um, so if you're asking me whether or not I prefer an incoming or outgoing, I, it's very location specific. 
Okay. What, uh, when you talk about blitzing fish, uh, we're talking about deeper water when, when they're when doing that feeding frenzy, right? Uh, not necessarily. In, in the fall, we get uh, big runs of, of peanut bunker. They're juvenile Atlantic menhaden. And uh, the bluefish will push them right up against those same marsh flats we were fishing in the spring. Uh, and they'll be blitzing in two, three feet of water. Um, so, I mean, blitzes occur where the bait is. It, it's not necessarily according to water depth. It does so happen to, to be the, the case that most blitzes do occur in deeper water, though. Well, what, how far out do you go, then? Um, it, blitzes could happen right uh, out from my marina, uh, but in the summer, like the dog days of summer, which is what we've got right now, you could run two, three miles offshore, and you'll find a lot of blitzing fish everywhere. I, mean, I, I was out this morning and was actually looking for, for bluefin and skipjack tuna, and, and there were just bluefish everywhere and, and big schools of them. Some, of them. some of them quite big, too, 12, 13, 14 pounds. So, yeah, they, they're, they're everywhere. Go ahead. And how far out are you? I mean, from your marina, if you're taking a boat ride, what kind of boat ride do you have to take to get well, I, today, as using today as an example, I went maybe two miles outside my marina. I was still in Jamaica Bay, and I found uh, two to four pound bluefish. You know, probably about an acre of them blitzing uh, banch or uh, uh, peanut bunker very hard. Um, so I caught a few of them and then headed out and looked for the tuna. And you know, I guess I ran uh, maybe two miles before I found my first school of big. Uh, of big bluefish, and and all the way out to 10 miles out, I, there were roaming schools of, of, you know, eight to 10, 12 pound bluefish everywhere. Right, let's pause here briefly, and when we return, uh, John will be answering more of your questions about fly fishing for bluefish. Front Range Anglers, a full-service fly shop located in Boulder, Colorado, provides premium tackle and comprehensive instruction and guide services to fly fishermen all across the country. In business for over 25 years and with a staff that averages 20 years of experience, they will give you the straight story on gear, places to fish, flies, and techniques. They publish a monthly newsletter that is one of the most informative and insightful electronic magazines in the industry. Find out more about this premier shop by logging on to their website at www.frontrangeanglers.com. That's www.frontrangeanglers.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Captain John McMurray about fly fishing for bluefish on the eastern seaboard. Remember, you can ask John a question by going to our homepage. On the link, click here to ask John your most important question. We'll receive your question immediately and try to answer as many as possible. Wow, acres of bluefish. Uh, that, that sounds exciting. Uh, just in terms of how you approach the blitzing bluefish, I'm, I'm assuming you don't charge into the middle of them and start casting uh, circumferentially. How do you approach them? Yeah, uh, well, you, you try to be as stealthy as possible. And, and boy, it, it gets frustrating, especially during the weekends when you have novice boaters and novice anglers uh, zooming into these schools and, and leaving their motor on. And, and you know, they, they kind of ruin it for everybody. What I generally try to do is get myself upwind, up current of a school, you know, and, and get far enough away where I know that I'm not going to spook those fish and cut the motor and try to drift into them. You know, a lot of guys leave the motor on, and that, that'll, uh, sometimes it won't spook them, but most of the time it will. Um, 
So yeah, it's it's it does require uh, some boating skill as as well as some know-how, um, but that's the way you do it. So then you're working the edges of the school with your cast. Well, what you what you want to try to do is get your drift going so that boat goes right through the middle of the school. Uh, they won't spook from the boat per se. They'll spook more from the noise than anything else. And you're doing a drift then. Uh through there with your with your your streamers is that well you're not drifting your streamers you're you're making uh, you know you're double hauling and trying to shoot out as much line as possible and you're stripping that fly very fast through the that school of breaking the fish and so you're casting right into the the pod and, and then yeah through. yeah one of the one of the really great things about uh, fishing a blitz and setting yourself up to where you you actually move through the blitz is that you could get caught in situations where some blitzes of, of monumental proportions are happening so close to the boat that you almost feel like you're part of it. I mean, it's really, you know, kind of nature at its best. It's unfolding right before you, this this orgy of this, this feeding frenzy, this, this bait getting cut in half and flying out of the water. And that's that's pretty cool, I think. <laughs> I, I saw not too long ago somebody sent me a video, and I'm not sure what language the guy was speaking or, or where it was taken. It looked like it was tropical somewhere, but uh, it was at night. They had lights on, and there was, there was a, a blitz going on of some kind of fish where they were actually jumping into the boat. And it was, it was by the time this little video clip, which was about three minutes long, was finished, there must have been 25, 30, uh, you know, three- to four-pound fish in this guy's boat. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I saw that video as well. I, oh, I did you? I, Guy put a helmet on at the end, right? Because he had fish flying at him from all directions. Well, the blitzes aren't aren't that way, but they, they could they could be pretty spec. You do actually have to catch the fish to get them in the boat. Oh, okay. Well, I don't think you'd, from the sounds of it, we wouldn't want them in the boat with with no, no, certainly being not. in control anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, not with yeah. That, the, the set of teeth they've got. So yeah, yeah. John, could you go into a bit more detail on your retrieve for the blitzing fish versus how you're you're working a fly for the flats fish? Absolutely. Uh, blitzing fish, you rip it through that school as fast as you can. Um, you're just pulling that thing as hard as you can. The way I do it is I get a, I get a cast out, I put the rod under my, my arm, and just uh, hand over hand strip it as quick as right. I can. Fishing the flats... You want to, you want to. It, it depends. You know, if you have daisy chaining fish, or if you have fish uh, doing circles, you want to drop that fly on the outside of the school, twitch it a little bit, wait for a fish to see it, and if you start sniffing it, then you just rip it away from them really quick. Uh, they're also. I mean, this is this is what I try first of all. Sometimes that doesn't work. You may have to just twitch it a little bit. You may have to uh, strip it as fast as you can as soon as it hits the water. Uh, you know, fish, particularly the ones in the flats, uh, are very uh, finicky in particular, and you have to accommodate them. You have to do what they want to do on that particular day. So a lot of trial and error. Mm -hmm. And explain uh, a, a more a bit in detail about this, their, their swimming patterns, because I'm not sure that everybody understands what you're saying with daisy chaining. and. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, well, well, when they get in the flats in, in June uh, or, or late May, um, they they kind of it's an odd behavior I think um, they 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 line up in, in groups of, of 
three to seven fish and swim in a straight line. Occasionally one of them will break off and then they'll start swimming in a circle. And uh, you know we call that daisy chaining. Um, why they do that, there's a number of different theories. Uh, most guides will tell you. In fact, when I was writing that article, I interviewed a number of guides and every single one of them said it was some sort of spawning behavior. But I realized that that couldn't be true, um, particularly after talking to the, the biologists at Stony Brook and the guys at Rutgers. Uh, you know, they spawn offshore in June and July off the continental shelf, so they're not spawning. So uh, basically, we don't know why they're exhibiting that behavior, but uh, the, the theories are it's, it's kind of a, a mating ritual before they go offshore to spawn and that they're following one female. Uh, and you know, as that female breaks off it, and does a circle, they all just follow it. Um, the other is that they're a schooling fish, and this is just a natural behavior for them, although uh, they don't school like that in deeper water, only in shallow water. But that just may have to do with, with water depth and the fact that they can't school in the way that they do in deeper water. And the third, uh, and, and I think the most convincing theory, is that they do it it's, it's just a way to warm themselves in the fall. They get on that flat and they, they play follow the leader. Um, one fish is the leader and as that fish breaks off and turns around, he wants to go follow the fish behind him and they do this circular thing. So uh, one thing I can tell you for sure when they do that is that they're not feeding because I don't see them eating anything and they're very difficult to get to eat. And that's why I, I like poppers in that particular situation, not just because of the spectacular strikes that they draw, but because they tend to annoy that fish so much and get that fish's attention that he just acts out of natural aggression. You know, he's got to whack that thing, um, despite whether he wants to eat it or not. He's got to whack it. So yeah, that's that's what they're doing up there in the flats, and and that's the sort of behavior that they're they're exhibiting. Yeah. Now, didn't you say in your article that you have not caught a fish on the flats that had had been eating ever? Yeah. Uh, in fact, every fish that I've ever filleted uh, in the spring has had an empty stomach, which is unusual for bluefish because any time that I catch a fish, any other time of the year, it's, it's full of bait. In fact, bluefish will eat until they vomit and then go eat again. They're, they're just eating machines. <laughs> So there's something else going on on those flats. I mean, nobody's been able to, to prove exactly what they're doing, but who knows. So as you go through the, the, the summer, then, they get fuller and fatter and yeah, once Yeah, once they, they get off the flats, the, the big ones get off the flats and they disappear until, you know, late July, early August. And I, I, I guess they're going offshore to spawn then. We still have smaller ones around. We just don't have those big ones. Well, just in terms of, of timing, you, you've mentioned uh, some different periods. Is there a best month to come to your area to fish for bluefish? Uh, we had uh, one gentleman submit a question who's uh, coming up in, uh, in September on business, and he was kind of wondering... Uh, if uh, he was if he was timing it pretty well, uh, well for flats fishing, uh, late May and early June, um, and and throughout June really is the best time to do that. September can and should be an excellent time of the year to to target blitzing fish. Um, in fact, I, I would say it's probably you know 
the best month if you really wanted to, to target bluefish and, and, and get numbers as well as size. Um, yeah, all along the Jersey and, and, and in New York Bite, you should you should do really well in September. Okay. Uh, does that move up then? Uh, is this activity happening simultaneously all up and down the coast, or is this is this the, the are they migrating as this happens? I mean, in in October, uh, are they further south? Well, I, I think what happens in September is is we start getting all the the peanut bunker, which are the juvenile Atlantic menhaden, and they start moving out of the bays in September. You're you're just starting to get those first cool nights where it dips down and in, into the low 50s, high 40s, um, and and that really starts pushing the the Atlantic menhaden out of the bays. And bluefish are usually the first predator that's there to to uh, take advantage of the of that big push of bait. And then, then you get false albacore and some of the smaller tunas that move in and, and take over. But yeah, that's that's what's happening in September, and I, I think that tends to happen, you know, up and down the coast, and, and or as, at least as far north as those those Menhaden are. So I, I would say probably from Maine to to southern Jersey, that's that's what's happening. John, since you you mentioned uh, some of these other species that come in at different times, maybe here would be a good place to. Uh, uh, ask you to describe your guide service a little bit, what you fish for, and and uh, maybe give some contact information for our audience as well. Sure, I'd love to do that. Well, uh, late April, mid to late April is when we get the first grass shrimp hatches, and the, the first stripers come in to feed, and, and the bluefish are, are not far behind. And, you know, the spring is, is flats fishing. Uh, from late April into uh, uh, late June, I would say, is, is we, we do almost exclusively marsh and flats-type fishing. Uh, we do do some deeper water fishing, but if, if the fish are in the flats, and they usually are, we do that. Um, we also get some, some good-sized weak fish. Not, not many weak fish, but, but the ones that we do get are, are quite large. Um, a couple of fish this year in the 15-pound range, 16-pound uh, range, which is huge for a weak fish. Um, once we get into uh, into uh, July and August, fishing turns mostly. Uh, we we do get some striped bass, but we're fishing mostly the ocean side for bluefish. Uh, we also get these fish up in the white sand flats. Uh, this year was a little odd because we had so much rain; water clarity wasn't good. But uh, but that's usually what we do in, in June and, and July. Um, once August rolls around, we Start looking for those inshore that inshore run of uh, bluefin tuna. Um, I haven't seen it yet this year, but I'm hoping it does come. Uh, we also get a run of skipjack tuna, which is fairly reliable. I expect to see them by next week. Uh, and this is all on the ocean side now. Where Jamaica Bay is is almost all smaller bluefish. Um, that can be fun, but but we generally don't bother them so much. Once we get into September, we, we start getting the, the big bluefish blitzes, as I mentioned. Um, we also get false albacore and bonita that come in. Bonita have become uh, few and far between in the last couple of years. Not sure why that's happening, but the false albacore are numerous, and uh, it's, it's a very consistent bite. Um, and again, it's chasing blitzing fish and, and birds, and and they're they're probably the fastest fish that we target. They'll get you into backing right away. Uh, they're a small tuna. And uh, as we get into uh, late September and October, uh, we get 
finger mullet that come in. They're uh, a species of white mullet, and they get in to uh, very shallow sandbars uh, right around these these breaking surf areas. And uh, we fish there, and uh, for bluefish and, and bass, and that tends to bring bring in bigger fish because they're a bigger bait. And then uh, October, November is is mainly uh, uh, big striped bass time, and and we're fishing under birds and and blitzing fish for stripers. So that's that's a, a pretty much uh, a concise rundown of, of the season. Uh, if I had to say the you know the best months to fish are. Uh, May and June, and then October and November. Why don't you give us your contact information? Yeah, um, well, the best way to, to reach me is via email, and that's uh, info at nycflyfishing.com. Um, you could also check out the website. That's nycflyfishing.com. And, uh, you know, you could find all the, the information that you need there, and you could shoot me an email, and I'd be happy to, to answer any questions that you have. Uh, I could also be reached via phone, of course, and that number is 718-757-7339. And I believe on your website they'll see you up on that uh, polling platform pushing into the flats. Yep, yep. That's actually a, a photo of one of my one of the guys I work with, Robin. But that's a that's a pretty good idea of of how we fish those those yep. tailing bluefish in the flats. Sure. And where is uh, Jamaica Bay in comparison to New York City, Long Island? Uh, well, give us a geog just about, geography lesson. Gotcha. It's just about 10 miles uh, southeast of the city. Um, if you look at a, a map or a chart, uh, you could see it very clearly. It's it's 10,000 acres. It's part of Gateway uh, National uh, Park System. Uh, Jamaica Bay is actually wildlife refuge. Kind of a neat area. It's uh, it's this oasis in the middle of, of you know Queens and Brooklyn, um, but you know it's it's fairly pristine. I mean it's it, it is close to the city, but uh, but it's a it's a pretty neat um, ecosystem. It's a pretty neat salt marsh. All all kinds of, of wildlife and and neat stuff going on there. And and uh, I would say in this the early spring and the late fall, it's it's probably the most productive fishery in, in New York. And that's about a what twenty five dollar cab ride from um, Midtown, or yeah, it's it's thirty five dollars to get to uh, from anywhere in the city to get to JFK, and uh, my marina is right by JFK Airport. So, so all the you all could also you could also take a subway, and uh, the Long Island Railroad goes there as well. I, I would say probably a good seventy percent of my business I, I pick up at the uh, at the Long Island Railroad Station, which is uh, five minutes from the marina. Great. Great. So there's no excuse not to go fishing when you're on a business trip, is there? <laughs> That's right. Right. <laughs> That's about as convenient as it gets. But we need to take a little break again here. When we return, we'll we'll be talking more with uh, John McMurray about fishing for bluefish. Available online since 1998. Jaeger's Fly Shop is the bricks and mortar shop in Lawrence, Kansas. It's loaded with brands such as Scott, Sage, Ross, Sims, and many more. Nestled in the heart of bass country, Jaeger's Fly Shop offers a full-line pro shop and guide service where you can enjoy the beautiful Kansas Flint Hills and fish for trophy bass. Tim and Deb offer the friendliest of customer service whether you walk in the door or order online. Place your order on their fully secured website, and it usually ships the same day. 
Mention this ad and receive 10% off your next web order. You can reach Jaeger's Fly Shop toll-free at 866-359-7467. That's 866-359-7467. Or go on the web at jaegersflies.com, Y-A-G-E-R-S, flies.com, all one word. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Captain John McMurray about fly fishing for bluefish on the eastern seaboard. If you'd like to ask a question of John, just go to our homepage, www.askaboutflyfishing.com, and click on the link below the description of the show that says, click here to ask John your most important question. We'll receive your questions immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of your questions live on the show. Okay, John, we've covered a lot of ground here. There are some other particular, uh, oh, we had one here. Is there other areas other than the Jamaica Bay area that uh, are conducive to, to fly fishing around New York City? Is that the most productive? Is that? Um, yeah, I would say it's probably the most productive, but there are a number of areas. Um, Sandy Hook, New Jersey is a good one. Uh, that's also part of Gateway National Parks. And in fact, most of the, the good shore access or even boat access spots are, are part of Gateway National Park. Um, uh, would you like me to list them? I could certainly do that. Sure. Uh, well, on the Staten Island side, and, and again, these are all available um, uh, via the, the public transportation system in New York. So you could either drive or, or take uh, the subway or the Long Island Railroad. Um, let's see. Uh, let's start with Staten Island. You have Fort Wadsworth over there, which has great shore access, great waiting access. Uh, you have Great Kills Park, which is uh, you know just uh, west of there, and uh, that's also very good waiting access. And there's good marina over there with a couple of uh, very good guides, um, good good fly fishing guides. Um, and moving over to Jersey, you have that entire Sandy Hook area, which is exceptional. And, uh, you know, it's it's all that water from uh, the Hudson and the East River and Jamaica Bay moves out of there. So that's a very productive area. Now, across the New York Bite on the other side is Breezy Point. That's also part of Gateway. And uh, you, you, need, you need a permit for all of these areas, but it's fairly easy to get. You just call Gateway National Parks, and there should be a spot in these areas where you could buy a parking permit. Um, anyway, Breezy Point uh, is probably the most difficult to access, but you could take a subway and then a bus, and uh, you know both the, the south and the north side there of the point are very productive, and uh, you could even do some sight fishing on both of those sides. Breezy Point has a jetty that extends uh, far out into the ocean. And I would say probably in the whole New York area, that's the most consistent place to catch bluefish, uh, both big and small, as well as a number of other species. Um, over on the, uh, the Brooklyn side, you have uh, Floyd Bennett Field. And there's a number of, of areas that you could access and fish there. And, and the parking is very easy, very easy to get to. Um, you also have Canarsie Pier, which I believe you have to drive to, but uh, there's good waiting access. Uh, some interesting characters that fish off of that pier, so <laughs> I wouldn't recommend I wouldn't recommend fly fishing from the pier. But on both the east and the west side, there is is good waiting access, and 
I actually had some very good days there um, waiting and uh, being literally in waist-deep water where, where big bluefish were crashing peanut bunker all around me. So that's a really good spot. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it uh, for shore access. Um, at, at my marina over at, uh, in Nassau County in, uh, in uh, uh, Inwood is a boat ramp. There's also a boat ramp over in Rockaway on 116th. Uh, there's a boat ramp over in Great Kills Park in Staten Island as well. We've got a question here from Rob Suber. On Beam, he's in Bemis Point, New York. Do you know where that is? Bemis I'm Point. afraid I don't. Okay, he says, I'd like to know where and when is the best place and time to catch bluefish in the New York, New Jersey area from the shore. So was that Sandy Point? Was that uh, uh, Sandy Hook? Or, or Sandy Hook? Yeah. Uh, what, yeah. Yeah, I would say the best time of the year uh, would be, uh, for big bluefish anyway, would be late September, early October. And uh, either Breezy Point or Sandy Hook, I, I'd say it's a draw between those two areas. And those are both good shore fishing yes. locations? Yes, Okay. Yeah. And, John, just to clear up a point you made, you, at least in some areas, are required to have a parking permit. And yes. that's, that's additional to whatever uh, licensure you have to have for, for fishing? Well, there's actually no saltwater license in New Jersey or New York. Okay. Yeah. So but you do, need a, you do need a gateway parking permit. And uh, I, I should have looked up the phone number before we started this. It's, it's, it's valuable information, but uh, it should be fairly easy to find on the Internet. Yep. Now, John, going uh, back to... Well, one more question about locating a fish. Um, uh, there are bluefish found elsewhere in the world, right, other than the eastern seaboard of the United States? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. uh, can, can you tell us about well, other places? Than yeah, I, I, I mean, they, they could get as far south as the Caribbean. Uh, they don't get any farther south than that. Uh, and there is, as I mentioned, a, a subspecies over in South Africa. But I, I don't believe that they, they have bluefish in any uh, sustainable numbers in, in Europe. Um, okay. And, and I, I haven't really heard of any, any sort of recreational fishery anywhere else uh, aside from, from South Africa and the East Coast here. And, and they don't exist on the West Coast of the U.S.? They don't, no. As far as I know, they don't. But uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure about that. But I, I can't remember ever seeing, reading, or, or hearing anything about uh, bluefish yeah. on the West Coast. One other thing that going this is going back to techniques. When you're fishing for these from a boat or from the shore, are you using a, a stripping basket? Uh, definitely from the shore. You having a stripping basket is almost imperative. Whether you're fishing from a jetty or, or the beach, uh, most of these areas have pretty swift moving current, and the line will get away from you real quick uh, if you don't have a stripping basket. I prefer not to use one on a boat. Um, I do feel that stripping baskets inhibit, uh, you know, the strip, particularly if you're trying to strip fast and hard through a, a school of breaking fish. But uh, yeah, they're they're required anywhere else. I mean, you're not going to get a good hard strip with them uh, on the beach. But uh, if you don't have them, your line's just going to be all over the place, and you're not going to be able to pick it up quick enough to make a cast. And do you use or, or recommend, I, I've, I've read about different methods of, of stripping. 
to use. I've, I've heard about you know one-handed, which which a lot of the, the freshwater guys are used to, but also a two-handed, where you're actually holding the rod under your arm and then stripping. Uh, I do. I, I use that. I do. I use that method particularly during blitzes because um, yeah. I think that the faster you move that fly, the quicker it's going to get a strike. And uh, you'll you'll notice when you are fishing blitzes and you're not getting a fast enough strip, you'll get three or four fish following your fly, looking at it, maybe nipping at the tail. Then you make another cast and you strip it as fast as you can, and they're, they're hammering it right away and hooking themselves. When you're stripping in that fashion, how then do you do a strip strike on top of that? Or is that you just, all kind of part of the same motion? Yeah, you, you just keep stripping, and, and when you feel them tug, you give it a good hard, good hard uh, uh, strip strike. Okay. In fact, I would say the most common mistake in, in saltwater fly fishing, and it's it's particular to, to freshwater guys who are trying to make the transition, is that they try to set the hook on these fish like they, they set it on a trout. And, uh, you know, it, it's pretty common to, to break your friend's chops by saying, uh, 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 saying trout strike every time he misses a fish because because <laughs> they do that you know they they try to lift the rod and 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 you know hook them that way and and you just you don't have enough power and you, you can't sink that hook into a fish's mouth uh, that way it just uh, the physics don't work out the same way in saltwater that they do in freshwater. Sure. Well, of course, if you try to set up on a on a uh, on a brookie like that, it'll you'll tear his mouth out. <laughs> sure. Yeah. While we're talking about trout fishermen, can you maybe give the average trout fisherman some tips on how how you're casting this overweighted line, the uh, the heavy leader and the heavy fly? Just uh, some general casting tips. Yeah. Well, it's it's all about timing and and getting a hang of things, as as any any fly fishing is. But the most important thing to learn and understand is the double haul. Um, and that is giving the, the line a tug to generate speed on your back cast and then giving it a tug to generate speed on your forward cast. That's the most important rule. And uh, also, there's nothing particularly delicate about saltwater fly fishing. It's really about distance more than anything else. Uh, when you're on the flats, you do want to roll that fly, and uh, you don't want to make too much noise on your cast. But if you could get a, a kind of an ugly cast out in front of a fish a good distance, that's much more useful than getting a delicate cast 20 or 30 feet. What's your distance there? What's your average cast that, that a, a fly fish uh, I would say 50, 60 feet. I mean, in the flats, you, you, you kind of need a... a Good sixty foot cast. Probably no wind on Jamaica Bay, right? <laughs> well, there's a lot of wind, and that, and you know, that's kind of why I recommend a, a specific gear type, um, particularly for fishing poppers, uh, and that's uh, and that will help you punch it through the wind. It's, a sixty foot cast sounds like a lot when I talk about it here, and maybe I, I am overestimating it, but. You know, when you get the hang of it and you have the right gear, uh, I don't think a 60-foot cast is, is really all that long. And, and you know, I, I, it may sound a lot to trout fishermen, but um, when you're double hauling and you're, you're doing everything right, um, yeah, I'd say a 60-foot cast is pretty standard. What about uh, once you've, you've hooked up, uh, tell us about how you fight bluefish. Is there anything different in the way that you fight them? 
Well, the first thing to do, uh, especially in the flats, is just to uh, not put too much pressure on that fish and let them take a good first run. But after that, uh, you really want to you want to stick it to them and and you know make sure that you get all that line off the deck and and put a lot of pressure on that fish. And I, I'm a firm believer that. Uh, once you get a, a run or two out of a fish, you shouldn't mess around with it anymore. You get it in quick, pop the hook out, and, and get them back in the water. So, yeah, and, and that, that's part of the reason why, you know, we use straight 20. Sometimes we'll even put a 30-pound, uh, uh, you know, uh, leader on there when we're fishing particularly big fish. And, and we want to try to get them in uh, fairly quick. How long is that first run? Ah, well, it, it really depends on the fish and how lit up he is. Usually he'll he'll get you into backing if you're on the flats on that first run. But some fish, you know, will just jump a couple of times and, and kind of dig their nose down and just stay there. It all depends on the fish. Now, are, are the bluefish a little bit more sensitive than the, the stripers as far as uh, recovery, you know, rates and so forth? Do they need um, I don't think so. I, I think okay. bluefish are probably a, a bit more resilient. Um, I've caught fish that still have hooks in their mouths. Um, but, you know, with that being said, uh, you know, there's no reason to, to make the fight any longer than it has to be. You know, I'm, I'm certainly a fan of using light tackle and, and, and six and even seven weights with fish in the eight pound range and that's that's really fun but with today's technology and the, the backbone that even these lighter rods have you know there's there's absolutely no reason to fight a fish longer than than eight ten minutes and what about uh fish handling once you get it to the boat uh, any tips on not getting bit uh... yeah well well uh it's really helpful to invest in a tool called a, a boga grip um it's kind of a mechanical arm you pull the lever in and the jaws open up and then you let the lever go and the jaws clamp on the fish's mouth. Uh, it'll, it'll save you a lot, of, uh, a lot of flies and a lot of break-offs, that's for sure, because you, know, you open this thing up, it grabs the fish in the mouth immediately. And if you try to grab the line and, and pull them in, uh, that line is going to break a lot of the time. Um, nets are good as well. Uh, if you do use a net, uh, try to use one of the new rubberized nets uh, for two different reasons. One is that the regular nylon nets remove a lot of slime from the fish, and that's a protective coating that those fish have for a reason. Uh, but also, bluefish will bite right through them, and your your forty fifty dollar net will be useless after two or three fish. <laughs> whereas the rubberized nets tend to hold up much better. Well, they go for four or five fish, I think. <laughs> well, they, the nets, they're actually, bluefish don't bite through rubber the way they bite through nylon for some reason. I can't explain it, but I've had a rubberized net now for, geez, this is my fourth year, and it, it's still going strong. And the boga grip that you mentioned has a wrist strap, so you're not going yes. to drop that thing when you're releasing <laughs> tension on the Well, b jaw. believe it or not, I, 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 until I started putting floats on my boga grips, I would lose at least one or two a year. Really? Just dropping them overboard. So uh, if you do purchase a boga grip, make sure you uh, uh, outfit it with a float. And those are, are safe for the fish? For, for the, again, yeah, for they're, trout fishers out here in uh, Colorado, uh, we don't use too many of those.
kinds of devices. <laughs> I, I think I think they're the least invasive, uh, nicest tool that you could have for bluefish. Uh, what most most guys do, and I, I think this is gradually changing. Most guys either grab them by the gills or grab them by the back of the head. That's not good for the fish. Um, and and I think boga grips cut down on a lot of that tremendously. So just just as with any fish, freshwater, saltwater. Handle them the, the least amount as, as you can. And, yeah, unless you're going to eat them. Um, with that being said, uh, the big bluefish, the, the ones that are really fun to catch, taste pretty bad. Uh, they're oily. They eat a lot of menhaden. And the big ones, uh, people do eat them. Uh, and, in fact, you could smoke them, and, and they'll be okay. But the smaller ones are, are, are much better eating. When you say smaller, what size are you talking? Uh, I would say two to five pounds. Anything over five pounds starts to, to taste a little gamey. In, in fact, I've got a, a couple waiting for me right now that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat when I get off the line here. <laughs> well, just as an aside, what's your favorite way to prepare them? Uh, well, I'll tell you exactly how I prepare them. I, I put them in tin foil, and I put butter, lemon pepper, and onions and uh, maybe I'll put a lemon wedge in there, and I'll throw it on the grill, and it'll steam itself, and, and it's delicious. And you fillet uh, My wife has all sorts of different methods for, for making it, but that's my, my favorite one. Um, okay. So you fillet it, and you prepare it? You're uh, yeah, I, I fillet it. Yes, yeah. yes, I'll yeah. cut the skin off. Well, we're, we're kind of running short on time here a little bit, but I think one thing that uh, we wanted to talk with you a bit more about is... Um, uh, your um, work in the conservation area, and okay. uh, can you tell us a little bit about what uh, what you're doing in that? Because I know you spend a lot of time with that. Yeah, well, um, I write the the conservation column, as you mentioned, for fly fishing and saltwaters, uh, and that that kind of uh, serves a, a dual purpose. I, I do a lot of research in the field as a uh, as a grant officer for a foundation. Um, and we do make a lot of grants for, for marine conservation and, and fisheries conservation and habitat conservation. So I, I kind of need to know these things for my job. And, and uh, you know, there's also an enlightened self-interest on my part. Uh, you know, I have an interest in making sure there's a lot of sport fish around and that they're healthy and that they have a lot of forage. So uh, I, I do consider myself uh, pretty well-versed uh, with, with most fisheries and habitat issues there. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I have a passion for fishing, and so I have a passion for keeping those fish around. And I, I'll, I, I also failed to mention that I, I do uh, stand as the conservation officer for the Professional Fly Fishing and Light Tackle Guides Association in New York. Um, right. That requires uh, being up to speed and, and giving testimony at, at public hearings and that sort of thing. What are the current issues before your region? Well, with bluefish, uh, not that much right now, although last year uh, we did have somewhat of an issue with, with New York wanting to go from a 10-fish limit to a 15-fish limit, and uh, nobody really wanted to see that happen with the exception of a few in the party and charter boat business that were reselling their fish anyway. You know, we kind of 
forced, well, I shouldn't say forced. We we partnered with with CCA and and we wanted a we filed a Freedom of Information Act and we wanted to know why uh, they made this increase without holding any public hearings and. Uh, well, we didn't get any firm answers. I think we did prevent that sort of thing from happening in the future. I know with with Scup and Seabass and and Blackfish, they were going to uh, they they did this uh, based on an emergency regulation. Obviously, there was no emergency, and I know they were thinking about doing the same thing with other species, and they didn't do it because we made such a uh, a fuss the last time. So uh, yeah, that's that's about it for bluefish. But they aren't really threatened. Uh per se? Well, it's, nobody really knows because bluefish are very difficult uh, to monitor. Um, they're cyclical. Some years they're abundant, other years they're not. They're highly migratory, so they could be anywhere. And they're uh, spawning, it, it all depends on the ocean currents. So uh, it, it's tough to, to tell whether or not they're, being, uh, they're in good shape or not. Um, but I think prudence would dictate that you want to you want to take the the most conservative approach with bluefish, and with that being said, there is not a, a high demand commercially for them, and you can't. I, I I may or may not have mentioned that you can't freeze bluefish, as once you do, they turn to mush and they don't oh. taste good. So uh, yeah, I, I would like to. Unfortunately, they did get through this 15 fish limit. I would like to see it go back to 10 fish. I don't think anybody really needs 15 fish. Um, yeah. How can you eat that many in a day? I know. If right. you got to eat them right. fresh, right? Right. Right. Yeah. How about issues with uh, striped bass in your area? Uh well, that's that's kind of a, a can of worms there. Uh, I'll try to try to be short. Um, I I do think that there is an over harvest of the larger, older fish, and I think that fly fishers are starting to see that, particularly. Uh, now I think fly fishers are canaries in the coal mine, so to speak. We're the first ones to see a lack of larger, older fish. Uh, I, I think you go down to the marina on a weekend and you could really see how many of the older, larger fish are being harvested. And I, I think at some point we're going to have to stop that somehow, uh, whether it's by slot limit, whether it's by increasing the size limit, whether it's shortening the season. I do think those things are, are coming up on us very quickly. Um, I would hope that we could take some preventative measures before we start seeing a big dip, but uh, that's usually not the way the, the councils or the the commissions work. We have to wait until there's a crisis before anything's done. That's unfortunate, sure. but true. Sure. You know. So we'll see well, how that develops. Yeah, I think we've all got to, to pay attention, don't we? Uh, and, yeah, we certainly uh, and, do. And voice your, without the voice, nobody nobody knows, and, and people get their way. So we right, need to speak right. up for sure. Well, John, unfortunately, it's time to wrap things up for this show. Uh, when we return, we'll be drawing for a dozen of uh, John's bluefish poppers. So stay tuned to see if you win. At the recent FFF conclave, the majority of professional fly tires by far were using the right bobbin. That's R-I-T-E bobbin. Made in America, and in fact Montana made by Merco Products, four models are available to produce all sizes of flies and to handle all types of fly tying materials. Every right bobbin features the unique micro-adjustable tension setting. Learn more about this exceptional device by calling Merco Products direct at 406-328-6372. That's 
328-6372, or email writebobbins at aol.com. That's R-I-T-E bobbins at aol.com. And tell them you heard it on Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. From our global events calendar tonight, we see that each summer Sunday at 7.30 p.m., Jacqueline's Fly Shop in West Yellowstone, Montana, offers free fly casting clinics. Equipment is provided, and the shop is located at 105 Yellowstone Avenue, just west of the west entrance to Yellowstone National Park. For a map to the shop, click on the events calendar on our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, then on United States, then Montana, then View Map on the announcement. Enjoy an opportunity to have Master Instructor Bob Jacqueline help with your fly casting technique. Remember, list any fly fishing related events yourself on our events calendar, and don't forget to remind your local clubs and fly shop to list their happenings. We'll be highlighting one event from the calendar on each of our shows. Just a quick reminder to everybody, before you leave our website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section on tonight's show that says, What did you think of the show? And just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd sure appreciate it. Well, now it's time to give away a dozen of John's favorite bluefish poppers. And after what you heard tonight, I'm sure the winner will be anxious to use them as soon as possible. And in case you're wondering how we do this, we just press a button on our computer and our, our program randomly selects someone from this show's registration database. So if you didn't register by now, you'll need to do it on the next show and, and hopefully qualify to, to win something there. So uh, if you're the lucky winner tonight, we'll contact you after the show and provide you with the information on, on how to receive your gift. So here it goes. We're going to pick the winner. And the winner is Jason Hurst in Pennsylvania. Well, he's close to your area yeah, there, John. Not bad. Yeah, so congratulations, Jason, and we'll, we'll be in contact with you. And uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll love uh, John's flies. Well, Captain John McMurray, we very much appreciate you being with us tonight, and I want to thank you for taking time to teach us more about fly fishing for bluefish and fly fishing in the New York City area. We're hoping that you can join us again at a time in the future and we can uh, talk about another topic. That would be great. Uh, you're welcome, and thank you for having me. And, John, before we, we let you go, could you just give your website address one more time, real slowly and clearly, because I, I want to make sure everybody Absolutely. knows where you are. Uh, www.nycflyfishing, F-L-Y-F-I-S-H-I-N-G.com. Nycflyfishing.com, great. Okay, our next broadcast will be on August 16th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and on that show we'll be interviewing Jeff Courier on European fly fishing techniques. Jeff has learned a lot by participating in the World Fly Fishing Championships, and so listen in as Jeff shares all that he's learned from our European fly fishers. It's going to be an exciting and educational show, so don't miss it. We'd like to thank RL Winston Rod Company for sponsoring our show tonight, and don't forget to visit our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. And feel free to explore the other areas of our site, like the events calendar and the directories. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.